Today, we are actually continuing our series, Learning from Abraham, and this is part seven of the series. Um, last week, we broke away and did our open mic, which uh, I thought was really fun, um, but today, we're going to uh, get back into learning from Abraham, and I want to start off in Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, and um, we're going to pull concepts from from big passages here, so um, starting off Genesis Chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. It says, Now the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. I feel like it should say tent opening, because it's a tent. So it says tent door. I feel like it should be tent opening. But anyway, in the heat of the day, when he raised his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed down to the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and make yourselves comfortable under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread so that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, So... Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender, took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant, and he hurried to prepare it. He, he took curds and milk in the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. So with this first passage, I want us to just uh, look at this concept of a moment's notice. A moment's notice. And within this concept, I want us to unpack the idea that it takes selfless humility to give of oneself without any mental prep. It takes selfless humility to give of oneself without any mental prep. What I mean by this is, um, it seems like God shows up to Abraham when he when you would least expect it. It says in the heat of the day, God shows up to Abraham around the hottest part of the day. And so this could be expected anywhere between 12 and 2 o'clock. Now this is typically, uh, even in our world today, that's typically like lunch break. This is where people are actually taking a, a break. And it's not just a coincidence that like everyone takes normally takes a break around 12 between 12 or 2, the reason that this has just kind of been like instituted as like a, a like a unspoken rule is because from the beginning of time, it's been the hottest part of the day. So even when, um, when most people worked, like say outside, lunch break would usually be taken at the hottest part of the day because if we're going to eat, we might as well take a, that break when it's hardest to work outside. And so during this part, it is is also, of course, when a time without AC, AC is not available nor invented. This is during a time in which people are trying to escape the heat. This is a, during a time where people are trying to stay inside. This is a, a time where people are trying to rest or avoid work. This is a time where people are e even going to take a nap. And we could say that this time period is a time people are looking for the most when it comes to looking for time to kill. If there's any time to kill during the day, this is the most. The, this is the prime time to to avoid work. This is prime time to um, to 
uh, take a sit down and take a rest uh, to just kind of get over this hump part of the day. And it was during this time, which some could say is even the most inconvenient and even uncomfortable time for God to show up. And yet it's during this moment when, when Abraham least expected it, that God shows up. And this stands as a good example for us of when we're waiting on God or looking for him in our lives, that he often reveals himself when you least expect it. And even in times that would be considered odd or inconvenient. And what makes Abraham stand out is the fact that he jumps to his feet in this time as if he was expecting God's arrival. He just dropped everything at a moment's notice and it shows his level of selfless humility and uh, to serve God and to make an offering to God in this in this time. I mean, I, I don't know if any of y'all have been like hunting before or if, but just the idea of like dressing game. This is of course a, a cattle that Abraham already had. He didn't have to go hunt it. But even just slaughtering an animal, like he's, it says that he's hurrying back and forth from all the different parts of his his little homestead of of trying to get everything ready for this meal to be made on the spot. And uh, what what is significant about this is uh, just, I mean, just in our day and age, I feel like the idea of needing mental prep, even for uh, me and my wife, when we choose to work out, um, my my wife always tells me that she needs to be mentally prepared. When I, I'll just I'll have it prepared in my mind, I'm like, hey, do you want to work out tonight? And she'll the her response is typically, well, I'm not even mentally ready for that. And even when it comes to uh, with, uh, anything, when it comes to church or when it comes to uh, any kind of acts of service, what I found is like the biggest hesitation that people have is whenever it's a moment's notice, is that they want to be mentally prepared. Like even just to go to church. People will rarely go to church if invited on a Saturday night because they want a whole week at least to be mentally prepared to go to church for the first time again. I mean, this it's just a mental this mental game that we play in our head. Abraham just willing to to not, to not need any mental prep. It shows this moment's notice of his selflessness and humility and willing to work hard and uh, and showing up for God uh, at a moment's notice and. I want us to also look at this offering and opportunity. I think it shows Abraham's attitude about giving unto God. We see this display of him literally hurrying. He's literally in a hurry to make an offering to God. It, there's, there's nothing that he's getting out of this moment besides an opportunity to give something unto God. And we see uh, it, it, it's hard. Uh, I, I want us to understand this concept because... He's literally hurrying and rushing to serve God. In today's age, I feel like it's hard to even find a restaurant full of paid employees, paid employees to hurry the way that Abraham hurries in this moment. He's doing it out of his own free will, and people who are paid to do it don't even have an attitude like that. There was, there was never any verbal request even made by God, but this was done out of Abraham's own heart and wanting to give an offering to God. He saw that his offering as a special opportunity to give unto his creator in a unique way. And it, I really believe that this is truly a, an example for us to follow, to have our eyes open and look for the special opportunities that we can offer God something personal and out of uh, uh, something that's even out of our usual routine. I really believe that every time we have a, a, a 
a moment to give or to serve. It truly is an opportunity for us to grow closer to God. Every time that we have an opportunity to tithe or give an offering of whatever it looks like, to give of ourselves, it's an opportunity that we have before us. And God isn't making this request, but it's an opportunity that's unspoken. And finally, in this passage, I see Abraham standing by. After making this his grand gesture in this offering to God, rather than sitting down and seeing things as complete, he's, we, it's, the scripture says that he stands by just in case there's anything that God may want. While this story is peculiar in the way that we see God visit in, in this incarnated way, it is a powerful visual of humility as Abraham shows an attentive and humble heart as he truly is serving God joyfully, as he's giving to God joyfully. It, and it shows this, uh, there's no reserve with him. There's no, uh, there's no uh, negative part of Abraham, but he's literally almost seems like happy to stand by and wait on, on God in this way. Um, and so... That leads us into the next uh, passage. There's a small dialogue uh, after this passage in which he talks to Sarah. I want us to jump into uh, a couple verses down um, and jump into chapter 18, verses 16 through 21. It goes on to say that, Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, since Abraham certainly will certainly become a great and mighty nation. And in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he was spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. And their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see whether they have done entirely as the outcry, which has come to me, indicates. And if not, I will know. See, what's what we're going to unpack within this passage is this mysterious connection. This mysterious connection that Abraham has with God. And I really believe that within this we're going to see that the greater relationship with God, the greater revelation from God. The greater relationship with God, the greater the revelation from God. And I want us to start off by identifying that God's heart and desire uh, to reveal truth to us. The word revelation is derived from the word reveal. And this dialogue shows God's heart in wanting to reveal different truths to us. It, it, there's this question, is that, shall I hide uh, this from Abraham? And uh, it's spoken in a way uh, that's rhetorical, like uh, in the in sense that, that God does not want to hide these, these, these mysteries, these truths from us. And it shows God's heart. And I believe this display shows through Abraham that the closer we are to God, the clearer this, this voice of God becomes. And receiving deep revelation and truth about even mysterious things of God, his nature, and even what he's going to do in the world is a supernatural side effect from seeking him, from being close to him. And the more that we grow closer to God, the more that we that he will reveal things to us personally about life and even the things about this world. 
And it leads us to this idea of stepping into our roles. It, it says, it has this dependency. It says, shall I hide this truth from him? And it says, for I have chosen him. This, this interaction is a dependent interaction on us also stepping into our roles. The passage shows that the reason God was going to reveal the things about Sodom and Gomorrah to Abraham was because he was chosen for something. And he had, he had, and Abraham had answered his calling. Similarly, when we answer God's calling for us, it unlocks special accessibility to Him and these this type of revelation. Each of us have has a calling and different roles to step into. And just like Abraham, we should step into them with willing and joyful hearts as we look to serve God in our lives. And when we do, we get to see this this personal revealing of truth uh, from God. And I really believe that the very personal touch that God shows in the end of this passage is, is, uh, is very unique. It says that he will go down and see the outcry for himself. See, this, is a, this personal touch is actually God's testings. I feel like whenever we hear uh, the test that God is testing me, we often think that uh, people often say God is testing me when they're dealing with the repercussions of their own decisions. Let me say that again. People often think that God is testing them when they're simply dealing with the repercussions of their own decisions. Um, just today I was uh, talking with Lauren about how so often churches and, and preachers and even uh, songs, uh, Christian songs, will... Gra will cause people to gravitate towards them by making these ideas about um, like financial hardship. Like you're going through financial hardship, but if you lean it, if you trust God, everything will work out. And, and it they often portrays financial hardship as like the the world against you. When in fact, it, it takes it takes a level of maturity. But uh, sometimes financial hardship, a lot of times financial hardship, is just reactions and consequences from things within our personal decisions not every time but a lot of times those uh, that is something out of that we're going through and it's not god testing us it's just the world that we live in we are working by the sweat of our brow we are working under the curse of it of the curse of adam and and see that that i don't believe is necessarily god testing you but this scene here truly shows god testing because we see a level of which God operates because he shares how he will go down and see whether or not the outcry against the cities is severe. And we know, but we know that God is all knowing, right? It's not like he had messengers come and say, Hey, have you heard about Sodom and Gomorrah? Those guys are crazy. And God was like, what? I thought they were doing okay. I mean, no one told me anything. No, God is all knowing, but yet he operates in this way in, in which he knows about it because he is all-knowing, and yet he goes down and sees it for himself. And what does that really look like? What does that mean? Does God physically have to go down and see? No, he's omniscient. But what it what he does is he sends two angels to go sit in the city. And what he did was, what this uh, passage share, shows is that when he sent those two angels to appear as normal individuals, as just mere men, he presented an opportunity of testing to see how the people of the city would respond. And th this outcry was a wickedness and injustice of the cities. 
people being murdered, people being raped, people being attacked senselessly, kind of like New York City, right? And God simply sent two angels that appeared as regular people out in the open square to see how the city would react to them. And it was a seemingly normal situation for the people, but it was actually a moment in which God was testing them. And I believe that God truly tests us in this way to where uh, we, the Bible says that we interact with, uh, with angels without even knowing it. That God sends us opportunities of testings through these angels to see how we will respond in certain situations, just like for Sodom and Gomorrah. And how we respond to seemingly ordinary scenarios shows our spiritual connection to God. It shows our authentic heart. It's not what we think are the big moments. We often think in the big moments, we'll do the right thing. But God it shows up and tests us in the seemingly insignificant moments to see what our true hearts are like. That's what we see in this story. And so I want to end in this last passage. Uh, and, and it's Genesis chapter 18, verses 22 through 33. And it says, Then the, the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. While Abraham was still standing before the Lord, Abraham approached and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous people within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall... Uh, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, If I find Sodom in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the entire place on their account. And Abraham replied, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am only dust and ashes. Suppose the fifty righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the entire city because of the five? And he said, I will not destroy the uh, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the 40. And then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry. And I shall speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on the account of ten. As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. So, in this final passage, I want us to understand the, the merciful intercession of Abraham. The merciful intercession of Abraham. And I want us to unpack the idea that your prayers extend the mercies of God to others. This is a really powerful concept. Your prayers extend the mercies of God to others. No matter what chaos is around you in the world, you are still standing before God. In this moment, when it says Sodom and Gomorrah are on the verge of being destroyed, Yet Abraham is standing before God. This is a power. This is a powerful, uh, a powerful display about how, what it's like to be believers in the midst of a broken world. 
uh, even today, I mean, uh, I feel like so many people, uh, I don't know if this happens like with every generation. It seems like every generation thinks that the end of the world is in their time. And, and I gotta be honest, like everything, and I'm like, am I just repeating what everyone else thought before me? But when I look around, I was like, man, it's like the end times, but every generation thought it was the end times before them. But be that as it may, it, as, as, as crazy as our world can look, even right now, to know that we are still standing before God. We are standing before God. And I think that should be a, a simple lifting of weight if you've ever felt anxious about the things around you, about the things in the world, um, to know that no matter what, you are still standing before God, um, even in, at the end of the world. You, No matter what destruction is around you, you are standing before God. And you bring holiness to any group, to any organization, to any community, to any family that you are part of. Notice that this this interaction where as Abraham is interceding for the city and he says, will you destroy it for if only this many people are here? And notice that God says that he will not destroy it on the account of even just 10 righteous people. What it shows us that no matter what group you are a part of, you bring holiness to that group. Even when Paul talks about this within marriages and relationships, he says, uh, when he's talking about um, whether or not uh, someone, you should leave someone if they're an unbeliever, and he says, uh, if you become a believer and your spouse is an unbeliever, you should stay with them if there is peace because you bring holiness to the marriage. You may be, you may very well be the person to bring that person, that your spouse to Christ. And he, he, it shows a similar display here that just, just being a believer, a part of any organization, any group, any community, even your own family, you bring God's holiness to that group. Thus, you bring God's grace and God's mercies to that group. And it is a, it's actually a, a, a very meaningful weight to carry as a believer. I mean, did you ever, uh, if you've ever been a part of a workplace to where you felt like everyone else was heathens but you, <laughs> and maybe you were like barely making it, you're barely skimming by. But uh, I remember even when I was a jet engine mechanic, anyone that's been in like, a, a, you know, quote unquote, grease monkey work, that's what we would call ourselves. Um, usually, like all the other guys are pretty crazy. <laughs> it's like pretty... A foul mouth, dirty place to be around, and um, uh, sailors sailors would uh, cover their ears at the things said. But what I'm getting at is, if you've been in a workplace like that, often we can think of ourselves as feeling uncomfortable because you don't fit in with the the uh, uh, the well, I don't I can't think of the right word, but the vulgarity. You feel uncomfortable by the vulgarity, or maybe even join in on the vulgarity. But to know that you, being a believer, you choosing to be righteous, you choosing to follow Jesus, that you bring holiness to even that kind of a vulgar group, even the most vulgar group you can think of. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah, their outcry was so great that it reached God. Your workplace, you know, may be close to Sodom and Gomorrah, but it, the whole place hasn't been burned down and everyone turned into salt because of it, all right? To know that you bring holiness and God's mercies to that workplace. Your family, maybe you're the only believer in your family, it, you bring holiness and God's mercies to your family. You, you are a carrier of God's presence, and thus you carry God's mercies with you. And so I, I think it's just a meaningful thing to, 
to witness as we go through this passage to know that you carry that kind of weight and responsibility. And finally, to know that every prayer that you make for someone extends the grace and mercies of God to them. Abraham is literally praying for the city and is is he, he gets God to, to say, if I find even just 50 people, 40 people, 30 people, 20 people, even just 10 people. And you know what? They only found, was it four people? <laughs> They ended up only finding four. And I, I think that if Abraham would have gone as far to say, what if you only find one person that God, God may have just said, if I find only one, I'll spare the city. But see how uh, even those four people that Abraham found, that God found as righteous, which was Lot, his wife, and his two daughters, they ex- escorted them out of the city to not perish with the, the wicked. But it, it shows that Abraham, he literally caused the mercies of God to increase as he as he interceded for this city it is he literally got the 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 count of 50 all the way down to 10 and it shows how our prayers matter it shows how how that as we pray for God's mercies for over other people that we are truly making a difference in their life and i think that the, the this is a really powerful thing to end on because we often uh, i feel like in american church culture I think we have a a manipulated idea of what prayer is like. We often are taught to pray for ourselves, which is nothing is wrong with that. Is I need to pray for myself. We all need to pray for ourselves. But what we see here is this intercession, this prayer that Abraham is making for others. He's literally praying for God's mercies over others. Have you ever thought to yourself to pray for somebody else's sins to be forgiven? You're like, man, I got enough of my own to, to pray and ask for forgiveness for. But to think about how Abraham is literally praying for God's mercies over others. And, and it's a powerful concept that as we continue to learn about our faith and learn about our, our mission and our purpose for Christ, to know that you're praying for God's mercies over other people and that it works and that it makes a difference. As, even if uh, you have someone that you know that you know that they, they're like the way that they're living is so dangerous and you're actually worried for their life to know that you are, when you pray for God's mercies over them, you're truly praying um, for their protection, for their grace. Not not because they did it for themselves, but you're just extending that grace in, in God's mercies. It makes me think about a time where uh, Lauren, when we were still dating, um, she uh, uh, she was driving and she's, she's just like such a cool prayer person. She prays for like really simple stuff. And there's a, a guy that was like sped around her and cut her off um, on the highway. And for me, usually when that happens, I usually say like idiot or, like, you know, something something not nice. Well, Lauren, she'd be like, oh my gosh, like they just cut her off and sped around and are going way too fast. And she'll literally pray like every time she'll pray, God, please protect them. Please protect them. They're going to get themselves killed. Please protect them. And she she recounts about one time when we were dating, she prayed that over something that was sped through, and just a couple miles down the road, she saw the the whole car had ran into the medium. It's completely totaled. You just assume that the guy is dead, and that he was just like standing outside the car, looked like he just saw a ghost, and it is just like crazy that he was alive. And, and it was even on the news like um, just a miracle that this guy was untouched, and. Now, I might be making a jump, but right before this this car accident in which 
anyone were to see that car, they would have assumed that the guy was dead right before Lauren prayed for this guy to specifically be protected, not because he had earned it, but simply because she was extending the mercy of God to him. And I think that it's it just goes to show, same in this passage, that our prayers are meaningful, our prayers are powerful. And rather than just being thinking of prayer in, a, in the sense of prayer for self, of acknowledging that our prayers make a difference in other people's lives. With that being said, I want us to, to take a moment to pray. And if you're here on this call, and as I'm talking even on this ending note about um, God's mercies, and you're reflecting on this idea of what God's mercies look like for you, and if you've, as you're thinking about that, if you've never had a moment where you have accepted the free gift of God's mercy through salvation in Jesus, you've never made an actual decision to do that, and you want to do that today, the Bible says in the book of Romans that all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is. And that all that is is having an authentic conversation with God, an authentic conversation with Jesus, and acknowledge that he's the son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead for the world's sins. That's all it takes to start that a relationship and a journey with him. And if that's you, I encourage you to have that today. Don't let another day go by. But have that conversation today. And um, you don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. Just have it yourself and talk to God. I thank you, Lord, for this time that we had together. And I pray that you move in each of these men as, as we continue to discuss this. In Jesus' name.